0: Welcome to Center Ice. This is the February 1st edition. I'm Mac Vincent, your host, here with Matthew Maynard, as always. Thanks for listening. We appreciate all the new listeners. No guests today because we're doing the show a little earlier in the week because of our schedules, but we should have one coming on next week, and we'll be sure to let you guys know. Make sure to like our Facebook page at Center Ice Pod. Follow us on Twitter at Center Ice Radio and you know where to find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. How's it going, Matt?
1: Uh well, it's going well today, 1st of February. I can't believe it. It just feels like a few days ago we were doing our first episode. Season was about to begin. Hopes were high for every team except maybe Vegas, but we all know how that's turned out now. But it's crazy. It's February. Trade deadline is coming up fast. Lots of trade rumors. We'll get right into them, huh? Yeah,
0: just before we do that, I just want to pass a few injury updates your way if you're not aware of them yet. Taylor Hall, Victor Hedman, and Nikita Zaitsev have all returned. Nathan McKinnon, after a bit of a scary collision with Alex Edler, who is not a small man, (laughs) is day-to-day, so you can breathe a sigh of relief there, Colorado fans. And Mark Shifley is back at practice for the Winnipeg Jets. It looks like he should be ready in a week or two. So that's really good news for them.
1: And, that's the, and you hear that? That's the sound of Winnipeg fans breathing a sigh of relief. Because with any luck, he could have been out long term. He isn't. So Winnipeg has got to be happy about that. All right.
0: So let, let's get right to some trade deadline talk. So much we've had we've had kind of a couple weeks to take in all these more than a couple weeks, I guess, to take in all these rumors, and we're starting to you know, we have rumors, but now we have some definite not necessarily rumors, more facts. So for example, the Rangers came out and this surprised me.
1: I think it surprised everyone.
0: And they were like everyone's for sale, we're selling. And I'm like, wait, what?
1: You're only one point out of a playoff spot right now. But, but
0: I, you know, the Rangers, I think they they were caught between, you know, what are we? Are we trying to get younger? Are we trying to compete in the playoffs? And I think they realized that what they have right now is not good enough to compete in the playoffs. And I think it's a smart move to consider moving some of these Big name guys. And we're not talking about, you know, just a Rick Nash and just a Michael Krabner. We're talking about Ryan McDonough
1: and Matt Zuccarello. And those two are two huge pieces of this Rangers core right now. And it it definitely caught me off guard when they said they were going to move these guys. And there's no guarantee that they'll move them. But if you play your cards right, you can get a big return for both of these guys. But if you're a team, which one are you more interested in getting? Is it McDonough or is it Zuccarello? Mac?
0: I mean, that's a tough one. I I can make arguments for both guys. But for me, with the style of the NHL right now and just, you know, kind of his reputation around the league, I'll go with Zuccarello. And, you know, the way I think of Matt Zuccarello is he's kind of like Brad Marchand, not quite as skilled. And he doesn't quite do a lot of the things that Brad Marchand probably shouldn't do. But he's a guy that, you know, he works his tail off. He'll play anywhere. I think he's played center, left wing, and right wing. I believe with, so. With oh. the New York Rangers. And he's he's a low-maintenance guy. People love Matt Zuccarello. That's the kind guy, of guy you want in your locker room. He's
1: a guy that you could fit into pretty much any system. If you played your cards right and put him in to any lineup, I think he would make a big impact, maybe not right away because it, it can be tough, but I think he would definitely make an impact down the uh, stretch run and into the playoffs. Now, Ryan McDonough, this is an interesting one because I think Ryan McDonough is, your, is the Rangers' most dependable defenseman, and he's a, he's a veteran, he's a leader, he's a, he can be a scorer. He's really a, your, your ideal defenseman in today's NHL, wouldn't you say?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think the reason they're maybe contemplating moving them moving him, excuse me, shows that they have a lot of faith in Brady Shea. And I'm a big fan of Brady Shea. So
1: am I. Remember the last time I think they're
0: just waiting for him to make that next step Mm. into kind of a dominant two-way defenseman. He's getting there for sure. He's still really young. And I think the Rangers probably had some discussions over the holidays they were like okay what do we want to do like what are we doing here because we've I, got Henrik Lundqvist who's I, I, I can't even there. remember how old he is at this point but and they have a team that's kind of a bunch of young guys and old guys they're not quite going in one particular direction so you know maybe they did their research and maybe they've been kind of thinking about this the whole way and evaluating but to me, it makes sense, but I'm really interested to see who they actually move.
1: So Henrik Lundqvist is 35, so he's not old, but he's not young either. And hes you can tell he's dropped off a bit in quality the past few years. He's still an excellent goaltender, but he's, a, he's definitely dropped. And I think the Rangers, they talked over the holidays, as you said, and they really are at this crossroads because they could go and contend, but... I don't think they'd last super long in the playoffs. You could go for that one or two round playoff run, but is it really worth it? Especially when you know that this team isn't really set to contend this year. And I think they made the right choice and that they're gonna go they're gonna move some guys, some of their big guys, but they can get some good picks back, they can let their prospects like Brady Shea properly develop. And then maybe two year years from now, they can be back and have a longer cup window.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They've definitely thought this through. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Now, one guy that we do need to mention, we did mention Rick Nash. Rick Nash is a good player. And he's a guy that a lot of teams will want. But I'll tell you what no team is going to take on that contract without the Rangers taking at least half of it because I believe this is the last year of his contract this year. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that, Matt, in a second. I
1: will check that for you.
0: (laughs) But, you know, Rick Nash is a guy that you can put him anywhere on your team. He works hard. He's always been a good player. He still has that goal-scoring touch, and he'd be a nice boost for a team in the playoffs.
1: $7.8 Seven point eight million this year and he's a UFA come this summer.
0: So how many yeah, like it's still a lot of money. hmm exactly. So I would imagine if he gets moved, they're gonna eat some of that salary. But they can afford to do that. They have cap space, right? So yeah, that's that's Nash, but I think one guy that's gonna generate maybe more interest than any of these guys, which is kind of funny to say that, is Michael Grabner.
1: I'm glad you brought him up because he's going to be um, the Rangers are going to be getting a lot of calls about him coming up to the trade deadline. What a player. And we've seen him. He's a consistent 28, 30 goal scorer. And going down on a stretch playoff run, having a guy like Rabner on your wing would be a huge asset to whichever team can land him. And the Rangers know they're going to get a good return for him. It's just a question of what is the price for him?
0: I well, I think it's going to be big. You're probably looking at at least a first round pick and probably a prospect because th- there's two things that play here. Number one, he's a dependable goal scorer. But number two, very nice contract. Less than 2 million dollars. I think it's 1.65 million, which is ridiculous for a 20 to 30 goal scorer yep, every you're right. year. So I'm really interested to see what happens with Grabner. I think a lot of teams are going to be in on him. I don't know if they end up moving a McDonough or a Zuccarello. I think they'll move one of them. I don't think they're going to move both of them. I it's don't awfully think so. difficult
1: to I think move two d- of those guys. They'll definitely take calls on both. That's yes. For sure. Yeah. Which one do you think is more likely to be moved?
0: Probably Zuccarello because McDonough's kind of been around for a while there. He is their captain. I mean, he's he's a lot to that franchise. I don't think Rangers fans want to see McDonough go.
1: And I would agree with you on that. I think that the Matt Zuccarello, I think he's easier to move, and I wouldn't say for sure, you can't say for sure whether you get more for him, but I think he's definitely your easier one to move. I think you're right on Ryan McDonough. He is your heart and soul guy. Now, I want to move on to another New York State team, the Buffalo Sabres, and I'm looking at TSN's top 30 trade bait right now. Evander Kane is still sitting at number one. What do you think about this?
0: I don't know if I agree with it. I I like Evander Kane, but I think it's becoming increasingly clear that people just don't want to deal with Evander Kane as a head case. Because everybody knows he's a talented player, but nobody wants to deal with his shenanigans anymore. And remember, this isn't a like like he's not a 19 year old anymore. I think he's 26 years old now. So like, Evander Kane needs to really wake up and smell the coffee and realize that until he changes his attitude, he's not gonna get traded. I really think this is what's gonna prevent him from going to one of these really good teams, unless, now there is there is an exception, unless he goes to a team that has a, a coach that's very, like, no-nonsense, expects a lot from his players, like potentially a Nashville. And Peter Laviolette will not take any of a Vander... He will scratch a Vander Kane if he has to. So that's an example of a situation that could happen, but I, I think... Speaking of the predators, they'd be more interested in a guy like Mike Hoffman because Mike Hoffman has no attitude issues.
1: No, and I think And
0: he's a good player and he's
1: around the same age as Kane. And you and I discussed this before we got on the show and we both agreed that Mike Hoffman would be a great fit in Nashville. You've got Mike Fisher back now, you've got Kyle Turris. It's basically like the Ottawa Senators are moving their team to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it would be an absolutely wonderful pick up for Nashville if they can get the right price. I'm sure that Nashville and Dorian are having talks. But you also have to remember, a lot of teams are after Mike Hoffman. You've got the Jets. We know the Blues have put their names in. There's just a lot of teams after him. And it really is a question of which team will give Dorian the price he's looking for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we have to mention some Canadian teams here. The Montreal Canadiens have said that they're not actively shopping Max Pacioretty but they will listen. And speaking of Pacioretty, I'm interested to see what the return would be for him because he hasn't had a great year. And I would say since the NHL has really, the game has really sped up, he hasn't necessarily been the same dominant player. He's still a very good top six winger, but what's the return on him? And are the Montreal Canadiens really looking to move him? And the Habs would like to move Thomas Placanich, if they can, but also they might re sign him depending on the asking price. And lastly, the Vancouver Canucks might move Eric Goodbranson, but would prefer to re sign him. We'll be right back after this break on Center Ice. Welcome back to Center Ice. I'm Mac Vincent, once again here with Matt Maynard. And now we wanted to talk a little bit about the All Star game. And I I really want to bring something up here that I feel pretty strongly about. Do we really need an all-star game at this point? I, I don't, I don't see the need for it anymore. I like the event. I used to like the hardest shot. Now the hardest shot is pretty much a joke and very few people can even crack a hundred. The new event called the puck control relay, I thought was pretty cool. Johnny Goudreau absolutely destroyed everyone in that. He was fantastic. And I like the accuracy shooting with the targets that light up. I thought that was pretty neat. But overall, if you remember when they first implemented three-on-three in the All-Star game, the players really went at it, and they really put effort in, and it was fast-paced, and it was exciting. It was not this time around. I mean, you had a lot of the young guys like Brock Besser, Eichel, You know, Austin Matthews, Johnny Goudreau, those guys were clearly trying out there. And Drew Doughty doesn't know how to not try, so of course he was trying as well. But just the whole event, to me, it wasn't that great. And, you know, maybe I'm just getting old and growing out of these things, but I think you need to do some serious thinking about how you want to present this All-Star game if you want it to continue. Because for me, at least... I don't know. I don't think it's really worth it at this point unless you really reinvent it. Like, it has so much potential. I can imagine it being entertaining if you put forth different scenarios. Like, maybe it's time to ditch the hardest shot contests. I don't know. But you can't put on the same All-Star game year after year and expect it to succeed when... I mean, I don't know. It's It's mostly kids watching it. It's good for the kids, but I don't know. I feel like maybe it's time for All-Star Games to not be a thing anymore.
1: Well, would you prefer there to be a four-day break in the season instead? Just curiosity?
0: I I feel like, yeah, I, I don't mind that at all. And I think a lot of the players will tell you that they'd like to have that time off because the one thing about... An 82 game hockey schedule is is, it's really a grind to get through that 82 games and be somewhat healthy for a playoff run is incredibly difficult with the demand that these guys put on their bodies so the fact that some of them you know feel the pressure to go to the all-star game because you're a Sidney Crosby or an Alex Ovechkin and you have to be kind of an ambassador to the game I remember years ago all these star players would get invited and they would say no, I need to, you know, spend some time with my family, I need to make sure I'm healthy. But I feel like now a lot of these guys the NHL has like sat down and had to talk with, you know. Obviously Nikita Kucherov was an ambassador this year and I think he did a terrific job. But I don't know. I just think that it it doesn't add that much entertainment value for me. And I was really disappointed with it this year, to be honest. The three-on-three three was not what it has been in the past. It was nothing like three-on-three three over time as it is in the NHL today. So, I mean, that's just how I feel. What do you think, Matt? Uh,
1: I still like the All-Star game, but it definitely isn't what it used to be. You have to remember in this situation, Mac, is that if you're hosting the All-Star game, if, if you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, the All-Star Game was probably spectacular. You'll never forget it. But if you're the other 30 teams in the NHL, maybe with the exception of Carolina and Florida, since they're nearby, you don't really care a whole lot. And it, prime example, the All-Star Game was here in Ottawa in 2012, and that was super exciting if you're here in Ottawa because you have all the best players coming to your city to play this game. And you have all these events leading up to it. I think the all-star game, you can compare to an outdoor game nowadays. Because all, remember, the outdoor games used to be absolutely spectacular. There were one, maybe two a year. Mm-hmm. And the NHL would build up hype for it. You'd have the HBO series. And you'd have these classic rivals in these massive stadiums. And now they just play them too often. And if you're not in the city, you don't care. Another example with Ottawa. I mean, um, if you're not a Montreal Canadiens fan or a Senators fan, the, not a whole lot of people outside of that area really cared anymore, which is unfortunate because I think the All-Star game can still be a great game. I do think they need to change it up a little. Would you be interested in bringing back something like North America versus the world if you remember that in the early 2000s?
0: Yeah, I mean I agree. You definitely have to change it up. That's something that they can do. I think there's a lot of skill events in the skills competition that they can really implement. I think the puck control relay was a trial and I think it did really well. I think people really liked it because basically if you had a chance to watch it, basically the players were, you know, turning around cones and they had to at the end they had to like put the puck through this structure, yeah, and, remember and this Carlson, is not easy. Remember and,
1: Carlson just picks it up, throws it through.
0: And Johnny Gaudreau did this like it was nothing. He beat everybody's time by, I think it was like 10 seconds.
1: And I think the skills competition is at its best when the the events really showcase the player's skill. The one event I think that has gone stale, and you and I both will probably agree on this, this the hardest shot. It used to be absolutely spectacular because I remember you had guys like Chara and Weber, and they'd go head to head, and they'd easily reach over 100 miles an hour. And it's not taking away from the guys who did it this year, but just it seems to have gone a bit stale.
0: Well, you know what? Um, how many guys in the NHL can shoot over 100 now?
1: Not as many as there used to be because because the, you
0: don't have to.
1: The slap shot isn't what it used to be. Remember, yeah. back. Few years ago, if you had a slap shot like Shea Weber or Zdeno Chara, no one's blocking that. And (laughs) I think goalies have now picked up on it. Yeah. And so has so have defenses. And now, if you look at players like Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, PK Subban, not a lot of the most of the time they're just doing a hard wrist shot Mm -hmm. or slap pass or something, hoping for a tip, because you have all that traffic in front of the net. So. It definitely isn't what it used to be. The slap shot has evolved. And I, I think that you need to change that event. Make it something different. I I don't know. I can't think of something off the top of my head right now. I'm sure I could. But maybe do something like length of the rink or something. See? And remember Mike Smith and his accuracy shot? Maybe do something like that with a shot. Try and beat a goalie from center ice or something. That would be cool. Yeah. Take a slapper, try and beat the goalie that would be it'd be really hard but the for the players that could do it and i'm sure they're out there that would be something absolutely incredible to watch if you're a fan
0: the one thing that i absolutely love that they implemented recently is the it's like a it's like a passing contest
1: oh, you mean where the they have to no.
0: where they have to pass it into the mini oh, net oh i know
1: that i know what you're talking about that was i cool. can't
0: imagine how hard that is because I saw Kucherov and Doughty absolutely snap because they couldn't get it into those nets. And I I don't know how you... It shows like the people who win that competition. I think Petrangelo won it this year, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. It just shows how composed and calm they are because I love Drew Doughty, but Drew Doughty can be a bit of a hothead, and he was livid. He could not make one of those mini nets. And then after a while, he kind of calmed down a little bit and he made the last two and then he put it in the net, but he had a good time going into that. And then the mini nets just added like something like 40 seconds to his time. But I like that. I think the puck control relay and the passing competition are good. I like the fastest skater, but for the fastest skater, I want to see the fastest skaters. Why Why don't you invite the fastest skaters to compete in the fastest skater contest? Because Jack Eichel should not be in that contest. And the people that were participating, I don't think they have to be all-stars. Because it's, it's you're trying to showcase who the fastest skater is. I want to see, I don't know, Johnny Goudreau... Um, Michael Grabner, guys like that go at it instead of, like, Jack Eichel should not be in that contest. It's as simple as that. And Connor McDavid won. He didn't win by a lot.
1: But that's because the competition was not very steep. Remember in past years, we've had some really steep competition in some of these events, and I think you're right. And I think you can go across a lot of the events as well. The one event I was so, so on was the save streak one, I'm I'm more of an elimination shootout type person. That's a classic.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree. I was not a big fan of that because A, you can kinda of tell that the players aren't really trying that much. And I'm not gonna tell you that Flurry's save streak was not impressive, but at the same time, he made one spectacular save and a lot of good saves. A lot of the players were kind of fooling around, trying silly things, and not necessarily trying to score.
1: So, It's why I like the elimination shootout is because you get all the players and there is stuff on the line. I forget what it used to be, but there was a prize at the end for the person who could outlast everyone. It was really cool because the players would actually try. There's bragging rights in it as well. Mm-hmm. and. The goalies would certainly try as well. not saying that Marc-Andre Fleury didn't try in this, but you could certainly tell the players didn't try as hard as they could have. And I think that n- nothing against goalies, because goalies are absolutely fantastic, but I think in the skills competition, when you have your best players that even the most casual fan would know on the ice, you want to see them score. That's what, that's what fans get hooked on for the most part, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah. I mean... <laughs> The one thing that, if you didn't realize it already, you would have realized this watching the All-Star game is just how incredible goaltending is in the NHL today. Like,
1: well, it's some of incredible. these guys
0: are just... I mean, it's, there's a reason that Marc-Andre Fleury saved, what was it, like 15 Dif- in a 14,
1: row? 14, And it was, absolutely. And it was and some of those were crazy.
0: not easy. And one of them, which was on Braden Point, the hometown that guy, was, was absolutely spectacular. He... He timed that windmill save perfectly.
1: And I think you'd still get that in the elimination show. I'm, I'm not worried about that. I think it's just you'd see a bit more effort from the players. Uh, back on the All-Star game, here's my solution. You were so-so on it. But I think that we got to do what the MLB used to do, make it mean something. And I've seen some interesting proposals for it. I saw one on SB Nation once, and it was the winning division of the All-Star game gets two points every team in the division what do you think of that
0: yeah i don't know um my feeling is i would be okay without the all-star game but i would like to see them try and implement some new things
1: yeah i agree when they go down to two on two or something it'd <laughs> be interesting
0: yeah, so let, let's hope we have a different event next year in some capacity, but we'll be right back after this break on Welcome Center Ice.
1: Welcome back to Center Ice, and we're just about ha- well, actually, we're over halfway through the season at this point. We're approaching the trade deadline, and now it's really time to start talking about going into the playoffs, which teams are true contenders and which ones aren't, because there's a lot of good teams, but there's four or five that every year that you know are true contenders— and which ones are going on the right direction, which ones aren't. So I want to start off division by division. So I'm going to start off with the Metropolitan Division. The Washington Capitals, are they true contenders this year? Because we seem to say this every year. Every year going into the playoffs, they tend to be top one or two in the Metropolitan. They've got everything going for them, and then they run into the Pittsburgh Penguins. But is this finally the year that they get over the Pittsburgh Penguins? I I don't think so. I think they've proven themselves in the regular season time and time again. And I really—it's not the skill-wise. I think it's psychological. Because the Capitals, year after year, lose to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now—and it's also—it's just that mindset, right? Going into the playoffs— you know what expectations are set on you, and year after year, you don't meet them. I think they are a true contender, but they need to find a way to get past the Penguins. And it's a, it really isn't a skill-wise thing, because the Capitals, as they said, have skill to do it. But they just don't seem to have the psyche to get through the Penguins. And I think if they can do that this year, because I guarantee you they'll have to meet up against the Penguins on the way the finals unless something drastic happens it almost always happens and it'll be a tough go for the capitals but i think they can be classified as a true contender if they find a way to get over their penguin woes what do you think mac
0: yeah and we've mentioned the capitals quite a bit they did have kind of a rocky start to the season they they were kind of hot and cold a lot lately they've been fairly consistent and the one thing that we mentioned that seems to be kind of on the go this year with the media and the capitals is there's not really that pressure now because people feel like, you know, they are what they are and they're a team that does really well in the regular season and they can't quite win a cup. And that's, that's their history. So the only thing they can do to change that is change that history. And then people will start looking at them differently. But for me, I think Washington can beat Pittsburgh this year.
1: I think they can, but it, it's for, for a few reasons.
0: It? Because, yes, Washington lost some pieces. They lost Justin Williams. But you can't even compare what Pittsburgh lost. So I just... I look at that Pittsburgh team and... I would say a lot of things need to go right for them to beat the Capitals again. Number one, and probably the biggest one, Matt Murray needs to stay healthy. And when he's healthy, he's outstanding. There's no question about that, but he's an injury-prone player. And also, what are you going to get from a Brian Rust? What are you going to get from a Jake Gensel? We don't really know yet because those guys have had – I would say up and down years so far, mostly down. Brian Rust actually scored last night. But at the same time, um, I, I don't know. I just don't see the depth for the Penguins. The defense isn't quite as good. The Capitals certainly have depth. I just don't think this you compare the Penguins of every other year to the Penguins this year, and I would say that. They're going to have, the Capitals are going to have trouble with the Penguins. But this year, I don't think it's that much of an obstacle for them. And I do think that they're motivated, and I do think that they want to prove everybody wrong. And if they play well enough, there's no reason this team can't make it to the Stanley Cup, really. Like, remember, when it, gets, when it comes playoff time, it's anybody's cup. It, it could go to the eighth place team like we've seen in the past with a team like the LA Kings. They get hot at the right time or the Pittsburgh Penguins. We've seen that a lot as well. So I, I do think they're a true contender. And I do think that this is the year where not only do they beat Pittsburgh because I don't know if you remember the series last year against Pittsburgh, but they really outplayed Pittsburgh, but they couldn't find a way to beat them. It was the craziest thing. And sometimes that's how it goes in the NHL, but it was crazy to see pretty much an entire series like that where every game the Caps were getting the better of the play, but yet they weren't winning. So I do think that they have kind of a chip on their shoulder, and I think they are a true contender.
1: It'll be tough, but I think they can do it. Uh, We both agree that the Capitals are true contenders. We just seem to think different ways, which is fine. So I want to move down the list a little. We've got, I want to move on to the Atlantic quickly. Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto. Are of those three teams, which ones are true contenders in your books? Because I know the media, especially Sportsnet and TSN, and I can't blame them for hyping up the Leafs. The Leafs have been really good this year. But a lot of people I've been seeing have been saying, Leafs are contenders this year. But are they true contenders? I'm not so certain about that. I think they still have some issues they need to work out. They'll be in the playoffs this year. I'm not worried about that. But I think that they need to make a few moves, get a bit more skill, and I think they'll be ready to make some noise next year or the year after.
0: I think you're right, and I think there's nothing wrong with this team right now. Obviously, there's a need for some defensemen. They do have guys coming up. They have called up Travis Dermott, who's doing a great job. It seems like Roman Polak's not getting in the lineup anymore, and neither is Matt Martin. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that Mike Babcock and the Leafs have finally made that adjustment because him and Freddie Gauthier, those guys are just slowing your team down. And people are other teams' players are really dominating them one on one. And it, it took them a while to understand that, but they seem to. And I don't think the Leafs brass necessarily thought this was going to be a, you know, wow, we're, we're an absolute contender. We're winning the division type year. I think they saw Tampa Bay as the clear favorite. They would never say that publicly, obviously. And I don't think they expected Boston to be quite this good, but the true contenders in that division right now are Tampa Bay and Boston.
1: The only thing I think holding Tampa back right now is injuries, but there's, that's out of your control. There's not much you can do for Tam- if you're Tampa on the injury front. Yeah, You can only hope and pray. Yeah, But I think if Tampa gets their guys back at the right time, they stay healthy going into the playoffs, I think Tampa definitely can contend this year. Along with the Capitals, I think those two teams are, for a reason, they're A, leading their divisions, and B, I think they're true contenders. Now, I want to move on to the Western Conference here. And the interesting one, really interesting, Vegas leading the Pacific, near the top of the NHL. I believe they're still at the top, aren't they, of the NHL standings? Yes, they are. So,
0: oh, they are not. N- Tampa Bay is up by one point. All right, Sorry. Well, excuse me.
1: Well, I was right the first time. Near the top <laughs> of the standings, but they're they're definitely they're leading their division in a tough Pacific division, and they've just been winning all year. But it really now becomes the tough question. Are they true contenders for a Stanley Cup in year one?
0: Uh,
1: It's so tough. It's so hard to predict
0: these things because the moment when you see a team like Calgary play really well against them, and then all of a sudden they pull three goals out of their hat in less than two minutes and they win the game. Like... The one thing about this Vegas team that you can't deny is they're a very tight-knit group. They they play as a team. Nobody is like a star player to them. They're all doing their parts. And Marc Andre Fleury is playing fantastic hockey. But I just when I look at the rest of the teams that they could go up against in a seven game series. I have a hard time believing they can match the size of a Nashville, a Dallas, or a Winnipeg. And let's not kid ourselves, you're going to have to go through those teams to get to the Stanley Cup. So it's not that they they have plenty of skill. They have goaltending. I'm still not super sold on the defense. It's how do you match up against the teams like Dallas, Winnipeg, and Nashville like I think that's going to be a really tough matchup especially in the playoffs like the one thing about the playoffs is it's a completely different animal it's one thing to have a fantastic regular season but the playoffs is it's a new players elevate their game to different levels it's basically
1: you're basically starting over and a lot of teams will have really good regular seasons and struggle in the playoffs because it is such a different animal you everyone elevates their game it's a harder hitting game there's less stoppages there's less penalties there's definitely obviously a lot more on the line a lot more facial hair as well but that's besides the point i think that vegas they've got they're like the leafs they've got some pretty good pieces in place but can they go up against a team like winnipeg or nashville and win a seven game series i don't know and they, especially,
0: they, if, especially if Winnipeg and Nashville add at the trade deadline exactly. and Vegas does not.
1: I'm not sure. And Vegas hasn't really, at least rumor-wise, I haven't heard a whole lot of moves out of Vegas. And I can't really blame George McPhee on this because why, don't, why fix what ain't broke? Right. And I think that Vegas could certainly win a, a game or three in the playoff series. They could even win a round. They, they've surprised it's all season. But to go all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals through four grueling rounds to win a Stanley Cup, I'm not quite sold on it quite yet.
0: Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. So let's let's turn our attention to the mighty Central.
1: Now that's a division out of that's going Winnipeg, to be
0: tough. Nashville, and Saint Louis, who has the best chance to represent the West in the Stanley Cup right now?
1: Of the Central or the West? Of the Central. All right. The Central, I think it really is a two headed race right here. And it's nothing against St. Louis. But I think that Winnipeg and Nashville are your two teams that are really going to go head to head. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see them in the second round of that Central Division final. And that'll be a series for the ages if it happens. I have my fingers crossed that it will. And it's nothing against St. Louis. But I think you brought up a good point before we got on the air is that St. Louis has a goaltending issue right now. And it hasn't been solved yet, and they have time to solve it. But I think of the three teams there, Winnipeg and Nashville are your two teams that are above St. Louis and Chicago and the rest of the teams.
0: All right, we're going to continue that discussion in a minute here we have to take a quick break but we'll get right back to that true contenders discussion on center ice
1: welcome back to center ice and before we went to the break we were talking about which teams in the central division were the true contenders and we got down to Nashville and winnipeg and both mac and i tend seem to agree that those two are more than likely going to meet up in a playoff series it's Definitely looking that way based on how their seasons are going. But of the two teams, I think Winnipeg would just edge out Nashville in this. Winnipeg has got uh, just a lot more on that top six. Nashville has got a good top six, but Winnipeg has got an elite top six. If you look at that top six, it's just deadly. You've got And you've also got Shifley coming back. And Winnipeg is looking to add as well. And I think if Winnipeg can add a Mike Hoffman or a Grabner, Or someone like that, I think that Winnipeg clearly will edge Nashville in this. And Nashville will put up a good fight. They've got some good depth, they've got some good forwards, and they're a really good team. But when you stack the two against each other, everything on Winnipeg seems to be going right for them right now. And it would definitely be a hell of a series, but I think Winnipeg is your true contender out of that division between Nashville and Winnipeg. What do you think, Mac?
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. The one thing I will say about Nashville is when they get to the playoffs, they're a completely different team. You'll see guys like Kevin Fiala putting up numbers. And, you know, we've yet to see what Mike Fisher is going to do. I think that really surprised us when he – He's like, oh yeah, I'm unretiring now, and I'm back with Nashville.
1: (laughs) And midway through a season, (laughs) it's midway through a season. Very strange.
0: So I'm interested to see if he sticks with the team the whole season or what's going on there. But anyway, could
1: be like what happened with Yager in Calgary. I think he'll he'll definitely play a fair number of games, but it's a real question of will he make it through the rest of the season? I don't know. It certainly is tough to come in midway through a season when everyone else has already got their legs under them and play hockey when you not, say, not I don't know if Mike Fisher's played hockey between now and then I'm sure he has he probably has but not at the level of NHL
0: and I I guarantee you he's kept himself in good shape Mike I'm Fisher sure. keeps himself in very good shape all the time but yeah getting back to Nashville I think the defense for Nashville is still incredibly good and they will elevate their game in the playoffs. I think Pekka Renee will also do that as well. Historically, he's great in the playoffs. I see no reason that won't continue as long as he stays healthy. But the real issue here is if one of your star guys goes down like a Johansson and like a Forsberg like they have this year, what do you do? And I think there's a big reason why – Nashville is in the hunt to get a guy like a Mike Hoffman or Michael Grabner or somebody like that that's available. And we don't have the full list of players available just yet, but we're starting to get a better idea. The reason they're looking at that is because they know they're one injury away from really losing a lot. So they would like to add more depth, and they have the cap space. And David Poyle is a very smart general manager. He he certainly knows what he's doing. And I'm really interested to see just to see what he does at the trade deadline. He already added Kyle Turris, and that's been a good move. But they clearly need more if they want to compete with a Winnipeg. And to be honest, right now, they can't compete with Winnipeg with their forwards. If they add a piece or two and Winnipeg does not get a Hoffman and maybe Nashville lands him, then. Then we can talk about them matching up with Winnipeg. But right now, the thing about Winnipeg is they've got great goaltending. Connor Hellebuck has been consistently good throughout the season. And Steve Mason is a very good backup. You've got Patrick Laine, Blake Wheeler, Mark Scheifele's coming back, Nikolai Ehlers. It is just an embarrassment of riches up front for Winnipeg. But not only up front, Dustin Bufflin... Jacob Truba, Josh t- Morrissey, this team is absolutely
1: stacked. And we've been saying it for years. Winnipeg, I remember last year, a year before that, we've been saying that they've got all these guys coming up. It's only a matter of time. Yep. Well, now it's time. Yep. I think Winnipeg will definitely be making some noise. Could they bring the cup back to Canada after over 20 years? I don't know. They're, they'll be in tough, but... Certainly, I think they're Canada's best hope this year.
0: They're definitely capable, now, but the playoffs the playoffs is, is a different animal, like we've said, and it's, it tends to be very unpredictable, but we really like their chances, and we both agree that Winnipeg has the best chance of any Western Conference team to make the Stanley Cup.
1: Now, before we get on the top five, bottom five, I really quickly just want to talk about the opposite end of the spectrum. So, t- which two or three teams do you think are really, I'm not going to say tanking, but definitely aren't doing that well?
0: Arizona and Ottawa.
1: I I can't disagree with you on that. And As an Ottawa fan, it certainly pains me to say that, because especially last year, and even the year before that, they weren't that In 2016, they weren't that I, good. I but also
0: have to throw Buffalo in there. You have to. I think but the thing is when i look at the standings and i think about the teams that are around those other teams i i don't know like i don't know what Vancouver's going to do the rest of the way they have won one but they're they're pretty much way down there and making the playoffs would be pretty difficult at this point and they can still trade players so they could completely bottom out but just looking at Arizona, they have thirty-three points. Buffalo has thirty-seven. The Sens have thirty-nine. So it's gonna be quite the race there for the potential first overall pick. And remember they have to go through a lottery, so nothing is guaranteed. But I would say those are the three teams that are the front runners for Rosmus Dallian at this point.
1: So speaking of the Coyotes and the bottom teams, let's get into our bottom five. So number one this week, I, I think we both agreed on this one, is that we have the Arizona Coyotes at our number one slot. And what else needs to be said about the Coyotes, but they're just nothing is going right their, their way. They aren't scoring. They aren't defending. Goaltending really hasn't been that good. I think they are. I wouldn't say they're tanking, but they certainly, certainly if you're just a casual fan, it certainly looks like that's what's going on. Things are not going well in the desert right now. Number two, I have Ottawa. We just touched on Ottawa, and we've talked about Ottawa week in and week out, and nothing's changed. They don't change their system, the way they play, and the thing that frustrates most Ottawa fans, myself included, is that they have a p- decent top six. I think it's not a, an absolutely great top six, but it definitely can make some noise. But under the system Guy is playing, he seems to have a lot more reliance on that bottom six rather than that top six, which for most teams is the complete opposite, right? You rely on your top six, and Guy Boucher seems to think the opposite. Number three, I have the Edmonton Oilers, who they, they went on a bit of a run, but they seem to have fallen back to earth a bit, and they're kind of like the Senators, except not as bad. They have, they're like the sense They have some players, but it's just don't see it from them. They're not defending well. And Cam Talbot hasn't been that good this year. The Oilers overall have just been mediocre. Next up on the list, I have Vancouver, and I was tempted to put them in front of the Oilers, but they had a slightly better week in my mind. The game I watched against the Canucks was pretty good. And I, I also give them brownie points for Brock Besser's performance at the all-star game that was worthy of just absolute legend and then number five just just for you mac i have the carolina hurricanes who just they're a team of second line players you put it perfectly they are a second line reliant team they have some good players and but they aren't top skill that's how i see the hurricanes I think they can they're heading in the right direction slowly. But it's going to be a while before they get out of the basement.
0: Yeah, it's a rebuild clearly, and I think the the new owner has really started to realize that. And one thing he has said that you guys might find interesting is that you can actually buy upper bowl tickets to the game and they'll let you sit in the lower bowl. I think that's pretty cool. That's that's a pretty nice of a new owner. And also You guys might recognize this music that I'm going to play in just a second now.
1: So, Mac, does this mean what I think it means? Does it mean the legendary whalers are returning? Uh, Not quite, but the new
0: Carolina Hurricanes owner has said publicly that the team will consider wearing the Hartford Whalers jerseys more often. And I'm a big fan of this because I think what will happen is we'll see kind of a modern design of the Hartford Whalers jerseys. And I think when you look at the history of the NHL and people's favorite jerseys, those ones are always right up there. And people have created concept after concept after the hartford whalers cease to exist so the good news is you might see some of that hopefully in the last half of the season for carolina but anyway that's just a little fun we decided to have let's move on to our top five
1: so before we move on you're basically saying the hurricanes are number five on my bottom five but number one in our hearts for the whalers
0: I mean, yeah, <laughs> that, I think that touched a lot of people's hearts, okay, for sure. So,
1: <laughs> let's get right into my top five this week. I've got Vegas number one. And this is actually the first time I've got Vegas at my number one all season. And I've been very hesitant to put Vegas high on my top five, but really they don't need to prove any more doubters, maybe except the cup contenders, which we, t- which we talked about earlier. But if we're talking week by week, and just through the season, Vegas has been absolutely outstanding. And they really are, I wouldn't say a Cinderella story, but they've been definitely talk of the NHL this year, and for a good reason. Number two, I have Boston. And they finally lost in regulation. And that's just saying something, that they went pretty much all the way to the All-Star break, and they have and they lost, finally. And I think Boston's going to keep it up. They, everything's going right for them. They seem to have found... The old, they seem to have found some life again. I remember at the start of the season, I was so-so on the Bruins, but they seem to have found that youth again, and the top six is going well, bottom six is going well. I like what Boston is doing. Number three, I have Winnipeg. What else needs to be said about Winnipeg? They're they are rolling, and they're getting Shifley back soon, and Winnipeg is probably going to be in my top five for the rest of the season. Number four, I have Washington, and I... Like what I've been seeing from Washington, they've quietly had a really good season. And I think you've said it perfectly earlier, Matt, is that everyone's just comes to expect them to have a good season and they aren't getting the recognition they normally get. But I'm going to give them some recognition here. Everything's going quite well for Washington. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do in the playoffs. Number five, I got the Nashville Predators. I think they had a good week. They've had a great season. And Mike Fisher returning, I think, is going to be a morale boost for a lot of those guys. So I'd expect them to rise on my top five.
0: All right. Yeah, my top five is pretty much the same. I just have it in a slightly different order. I've got Winnipeg number one, Boston number two, Washington number three, Vegas number four, and Nashville number five. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. We want to thank you guys for listening. And we do have a new feature that we are working on and it will be like a monthly mailbag. You can ask us a question, anything hockey-related. Post it on our Facebook page, at Pod, and just tell us your name and location when you're asking the question. We will go through these submissions at the end of every month, and we really look forward to hearing from you guys. Find us on iTunes, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, at Radio, and have a great day.